Uh, let me just say this, that you may not have any use for God, but he has use for you. Um, I have said this to people I have loved and to strangers, um, and I really, really firmly believe it. Every single person is used of God. Every person is used of God. The question is this, will you be used as a child, like Peter the disciple, or will, be, will you be used as a tool, like Judas? Think about Judas and Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about sort of the, the different ways God used their lives. Obedience is the difference between being used as a child or used in the hands of God as a tool. So the question for us is, will we surrender? Obedience has to do with surrender, or will we not? There's something really, really powerful in, uh, in the Bible that calls us to do this. Sometimes we lift holy hands to pray. Sometimes in singing we do this. Uh, sometimes it's just this. It's a sign of surrender. I give up. I give up worrying about this. I recast my cares on you, Lord, knowing that you care for me. It's a, sign, it's a physical reminder that we are surrendered to God. We're going to start this morning in the doctor's office. So wherever you go to the doctor, imagine yourself pulling in there and walking in and sitting on that crinkly uh, table where that paper has been, and you hope they changed it from the last person. That's the idea, right? So you're sitting on that table, and um, here are the questions I get. Every single physical I've ever had, I've been asked these questions. Do you exercise? How often? And what do you do? And so we have a little discussion about that. Now, I have never said, when the doctor has asked me those questions, I have never said, what's exercise? What are you talking about? I've also never said, wait, 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 I'm supposed to be exercising? I'm supposed to be doing something, like with my body? What do you mean? You know, if only I knew where to start, maybe I could do something. But I really just, I don't know anything about that. No one's ever said that, because that's ludicrous. We all know we should be exercising. Are you with me? Okay, Emma, are you with me? All right, you better nod your head or else I'll call you out. Um, There's a pastor equivalent to these three questions, okay? It may look something like this. How's your walk? That's Christianese if you're new for like, how are you, what are you doing? How is it going as far as following Jesus? How often are you sharing the gospel? Who are you discipling? Anyone who's been a Christian for more than half an hour understands you should be doing these things. In like manner, no one says, whoa, 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 I'm supposed to be doing the stuff we talk about on Sunday? I'm supposed to be actually like engaging and like doing stuff beyond just thinking about it, talking about it, and believing it? No one tells me that. Because we all understand that there are actions that accompany our beliefs. That there is a walk that goes along with our talk. I don't remember a single time where I have had to convince someone of that. People understand that about Christianity. You see, Christianity is faith plus works. It's belief plus action. And if you do either one of those without, it just doesn't line up. Deuteronomy 26. Turn to Deuteronomy 26, and this is in verse 16. I'm going to throw a ton of verses at you today. They're all in your handout. I always put the verses we reference in the handout. It's a little Bible study tool for you all week long if you choose to use it that way. And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you uh, sort of visually so you can see the words pop out um, of the text yourself. But Deuteronomy 26, 16, look at all these action words. 
It says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rule. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord, and the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. Just look at the screen for a second. Do, do, walk, keep, obey. Right? This is just littered through the entire Bible. Let me just take you to the New Testament where, catch this, Jesus equates obedience with love. It's not the only time. I just want to show you one of the simplest uh, visual pictures of this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I love how Jesus gives us really portable truth. Our kids memorized two verses yesterday. Here's one. Rejoice always. Here's the second one. Pray without ceasing. That was from last week. We were just sort of reviewing that, looking at some things. I'm like, sweet, you just memorized two verses. You thought Jesus wept was the easiest verse? Maybe these are more helpful. I don't know. But this is really short, really pithy. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We understand that Actions are critical to Christianity. Consider the book of Acts. We just walked through the, early, uh, the, the history of the early church. And it's called the Acts of the Apostles. The book is not called um, Discuss or Believe or Debate. Right? It is called Acts. Do. Live this stuff out. Activate is what we called it. And this is what the eternal living Spirit of God does to dead and dirty souls. Breathes life into us. And when we are living, it's like a real boy for Pinocchio. I can move, right? Like suddenly we're activated. We are doing this stuff by the power of God. This is week three of four of this series, On to Health. On to Health is just, I'm just returning to some very, very basic concepts I'm just reminding you of things most of you already know. I'm calling you further on to just say, uh, let's, let's keep going with this. On to Health is not just a series for the fall, but for every season. No matter where you are, God is leading you on to health. Again, you've, as healthy as you've ever been in your internal life, good, God is calling you further on. You're as messed up as you've ever been internally, Quiet yourself on a Sunday. Quiet yourself on a Tuesday afternoon. God is calling you on. He's inviting you on to health. As God's children, in fact, the way we know we're God's children is that we're going somewhere. We're not stuck in the same old things. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This trail to thriving is often slow going. God works in a way that seems very unhurried to my uh, brain and sort of pace of life. He doesn't seem to be in a hurry with a lot of things. It's slow going, this trail. And we need a guide, and God provides this. In fact, we have that in the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you to note that every other religious figure points the way to their version of health and wholeness, and Jesus stands alone in all of history. Because he doesn't claim to know the way or simply point the way. What does he say? I am what? The way. I am the way. 
So not just, hey, the way of truth is over here, or I know the way, come and listen to me, sit at my feet. He says, I am the way. Again, no other figure in religious uh, history has said those things. So just by way of review, if your diet is Bible intake, what we feed on, and if prayer is like breathing, the importance of breathing and the importance of not holding your breath, um, we're going to get on today with exercise. And exercise is quite simply obedience. Let me hit pause here and just say, how is this going? Anyone um, re-pick up a habit that they used to do with Bible reading or prayer these last two weeks, uh, maybe because of something that was stirred up. Anyone try something new? I, I gave the option last week of saying, hey, try sitting for two minutes in front of your creator in total stillness before your day starts. Um, anyone have any stories or any things that have gone on just the way they've been interacting with it the last couple of weeks? Just want to give opportunity for that. Yeah, Catherine. Mm. <laughs> awesome. In case you didn't hear, she turned off her phone an hour earlier than normal, sort of as an act of worship, like just to sort of clear the clutter. Yeah, love it. Wow. Anyone else? Yeah, Ivan. Mm. Yeah. It kind of can be shocking. Like, how can I not sit still for two minutes? Yeah. One of the things I didn't say last week with this exercise is, um, is resist the urge to see if it's working. Again, that's the, the, the slowness of God. Plant in one season, harvest in a totally different season. We're so prone to go, I'm going to give this seven days. This doesn't work. If, this, if I don't see results, I'm not doing this. I'm not wasting my time with this. I'll tell you, um, I realized I don't do this on Sundays. So this morning, I sat uh, like I normally do. I don't do that on Sundays. God just showed me, like, you don't do this on Sundays. Probably the most important day to be doing this. So I just thought of Mary and Martha, and I thought, Lord, I just want to sit at your feet. I'm just here. I'm present. You're going to make your, known, uh, your, your name known among the nations today. So. Anyone else? Thanks for sharing those things. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, those have been super helpful to me. Kind of steers steers your prayer. Um listen, there is a community group that starts today. It's happening right now in uh in the share room, and it's called Soul Shaping Practices. Just let that word sit on you. It's just great. Uh, it comes from a book called Good and Beautiful God. And as Rich sort of laid it out with all the other community groups that may have gotten lost in there, but it happens on Sunday morning. So um, children are cared for. You're already coming to church. It's a great way. Some of you can't make a midweek community group. This is a great one to come and be a part of. Um, so to be able to do that at 9 a.m. hour and then join us in here at 1045. It's not too late to start. This is their very first week. You'll need to get the book on your own, and Rich Henderson is the one to talk to about that. All right, so exercise is essential, not just physically, but spiritually. We're going to look at that. Turn over to 1 Timothy 4.7. This is our text for this morning, and we're going um, to kind of camp out here the rest of the morning. 
First Timothy 4.7 is probably very familiar to you if you've uh, spent any time in the church or studying what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's got a lot in there, and it's worth memorizing or looking at regularly. It says, rather train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We can see what exercise does to our body, and we can sort of lead from there to go, that's what it does for our inner life as well. And conversely, when we don't exercise, we know how we feel. We know how good exercise and habits of exercise actually feed and sort of impact our rest, impact our diet, can impact our breathing. So there's all kinds of just incredible parallels. Besides the book of Acts, which shows us faith in action, there's another book of the Bible that is devoted to teaching us to exercise our faith. It's in the New Testament. Any guesses? What book is devoted to the, sort of the doing part of the Christian life? You guessed it, the book of James. All right, the book of James. So we did this, we did this series several years ago, and we used sort of a Western motif. I like Western movies. And, um, and we called it Do or Dead. By the way, these live online any time of the day or night. Um, so if you ever want to go back and listen to old sermon series, you can. But this is a play on the phrase do or die. Do or die is a regular phrase, like it's do or die time, right? But do or die is not really uh, the thing. The lesson is in the title. In other words, it's not do the Christian life or you will die. That's do or die. It is do the Christian life or it reveals you are already dead. That's the book of James. The book of James says um, faith without works is dead. So if you say you have all this faith, but you have no works, it's already revealing that you're dead. So do or dead means if you are doing, it reveals you're not dead. If you're not doing, it reveals that you already are dead. We had some fun with this Western theme, and it still teaches. Um, Christianity is certainly more than doing, but it's never less than doing. So same with being a cowboy. So being a cowboy is certainly more than just doing, but it's never less than that. Let me ask you a question. Just look at the screen for a second. Um, who is the real cowboy in these images? Let me step out of the way. Okay. Who is the real cowboy um, in these pictures? Okay. Just lock in your mind which ones are real, which ones are fake. Okay. Okay. We're not going to take time to sort of sift this out, but let me propose to you that we have no idea yet whether the, the ones are real cowboy or not. Here's why. Clothes, location, and posing doesn't make you a cowboy, right? You can't tell from a single picture. And the same is true with Christians. So clothes or location or posing doesn't make you a Christian either. Those who do are. So let me give you some examples. Playing horseshoes or giving a horse shoes. Right now you go, who's the real cowboy if I see someone doing those two activities? How about this? Sitting on a fence or fixing a fence? Right? It's pretty easy to start seeing who the real cowboy is. Dressing the part or living the part? Right? We can start to distinguish between real cowboys and fake ones. Pretend risk or real life. 
Here's one of the most potent verses in all of James. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. We made up a word for the series. Not we, I did. We, we made, we, it was cowboy wisdom. So we just had these cowboysdoms that we, that we said. It's kind of hard to say. That's why it's not a real word. But here, here was our cowboysdom for this week. Um, knowing without doing, why that's as useless as setting a milk bucket under a bull. Okay? Suburban people have to think about that for a little bit, uh, but you'll, you'll catch on if you think about it. Um, so exercise doesn't so much in the Christian life make you healthy as much as it reveals your health. So when you exercise your faith, it actually is revealing an inner health that your life is being transformed to be built on the love of God. What leads us in love to others that we just sang? It's the love of God in us. How can you possibly forgive other people? It's because you've experienced the, the, the forgiveness of God yourself. It's, it's the, this is the way it works. So it matters how you exercise, not just that you exercise. We have a pretty wide range of people in this room. Let me just tell you that in my preteens, um, I ran around until dinner time. I played soccer, wiffle ball, uh, football with my friends, tag, hide and go seek, just every single thing you could possibly do. After dinner was over, I would go back outside and I would do it some more until I was called in for bedtime. Or I would wrestle with my brothers, nonstop activity. In my teens, I would set out on a weekday ride uh, up Summit Road just so I can feel the exhilaration of coming down. Uh, I was a swimmer, so um, three hours a day, morning and afternoon, I would work out. Uh, in my 20s, it was nonstop roller hockey, surfing, cycling, and youth ministry. In my 30s, it was chasing my children, playing tag, soccer, outdoor adventures, uh, feats of strength. Then I hit my 40s. And now the kids are getting older, so it's more fun to go do like surfing and snowboarding and mountain biking and cycling and all those kinds of things. Um, but there's a little added thing that happens in your 40s. You have to prove to your kids that dad still has it. So you'd race them, and you wouldn't let them know, but you're like, I was sore for six days after that race right on my calf. What's going on with that? Well, let me just tell you, I'm in my 50s now. I am embarrassed to say that golf now counts as exercise. I mean, you're officially old if golf counts as exercise. Um, I was thinking about my 60s. Maybe in my 60s, it'll be mini golf. I'm like, let's go get some exercise, kids. Let's do mini golf. Where's my pitching wedge? Uh, Grandpa, you don't use a pitching wedge in mini golf. Uh, I'll show you where I put my pitching wedge. Give me my pitching wedge. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. So while there's some shame in golf as exercise, I know some of you can't believe it, but you're going to get there. Trust me. I'm not dead yet. And I haven't sunk to the level of lazy. The scriptures talk about lazy people. The lazy person is the one who counts snacking as exercise. A one and two and three and four. A one. And they just do as many reps as they can think of. And then sometimes that gets a little bit tiring as well. The Bible speaks of this guy. He gives him a fancy title called the sluggard, okay? The sluggard is the lazy person. Listen to Proverbs 19.24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. You know you're lazy when this is your exercise, and then after a few reps, you can't even bring the chip to your mouth. That's the sluggard. So I'm not there yet. If I get there, please hold me accountable that I am now the sluggard of Proverbs. I don't want to be that guy. So don't be that guy. Don't, do, don't refuse to do exercise. But left on our own, the very same activities, the very same activities 
might either be loving obedience or willful rebellion. Jesus regularly talks about this. He, he warns us against inaction. Let me just show you one verse. Luke 12, the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. That's the warning against inaction. Here's the repeated warning against wrong action, often in the frame of tradition. Matthew 15, 3. Why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So that's the wrong action. That's doing things the wrong way for the sake of tradition. Let's think about one more, one more action. Um, many who name the name of Jesus today specialize in this, reaction. I think reaction doesn't paint a good picture. There's no sense of a rested child whose father owns it all and is in control of it all. When someone who is frantic and reactive and fearful and just nonstop spouting the same slogans and talking points as all their neighbors, depending on which side of the political fence that they lean on. That's the reactive person. There are whole churches that are just reactive. We saw this immensely in COVID. Giant swings. And you go, I know exactly where that phraseology is coming from. It's not from the Bible and it's not from Jesus. It's a reactive kind of living. This is not the way of Jesus. And so he applies this basic logic in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, here's the word, do what I tell you? So activity, exercise, actually living this stuff out is vital. A great question for taking what feels like, oh, there might be a spiritual conversation here and just elongating it, taking it a little bit further, is anytime there's a sense that someone says what they are or what they believe, is this simple question, remember it, are you practicing? So someone might say um, that they are Buddhist. And they say, well, my Buddhist teaching says this. And I say, oh, are you a Buddhist? I say, yeah, I'm a Buddhist. And then you say, well, are you practicing? And so many times it's incredible because many, 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 many people say, oh, no, 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 I'm not practicing. But I have a grandma who practices. And that's like an, an interesting open door for conversation, is it not? And so to ask that question, are you practicing, is just a, a really good way to kind of engage with people and all of that. But let me say this. Are you practicing should be nonsensical for a Christian person. If someone wears the label of Jesus and then says, oh, but I'm not practicing, again, that, that, that just goes in my brain. Like, wait, what? What was Jesus' invitation? Come and follow me. What is the invitation that remains today? Come and die to yourself and take up life in me. Follow me. This is where we're going. It's like an all or nothing proposition. The invitation is come or don't. It's up to you. But it's a practicing religion. So let me just say, like, here's your, you're going to wrestle with this in your community groups. What do you make of Christians who wear the label but aren't practicing? What do you make of that person? What do you make of, of you, maybe, if you are habitually not actually doing anything we're talking about? 
I lived my life that way for a long time uh, in my teens. God got a hold of my heart. So Christianity is a practicing faith. You've heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. I would say, well, not necessarily, because you can practice and not be perfect, but practice does make permanent. In other words, the more you practice something, the more that is driven into your habits and kind of how you do things. If you practice the wrong things, I would call that a failure, right? And so if you just keep practicing the wrong things, that's going to be a fail. If you practice the right things in the wrong way, that's a fail, This is what Jesus was talking about. He called out legalism. What's legalism? It's doing the right kinds of things, but in completely the wrong way. For the sake of tradition, you're making void the word of God. You've turned baptism and communion and singing and church attendance and Bible reading into something it's totally not. It's doing the right thing, but the wrong way. How about practicing the wrong things in the right way? That's also a fail. The Bible talks about people who have zeal without knowledge. I love brand new baby Christians. It's awesome because they're like, we should do this, 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 and this. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Let's read our Bible first. Like some of that is flat out. We can't do that. You're thinking like, you're thinking like the world, which makes sense. You were saved five minutes ago. Let's let God lead us in knowledge. I love new baby Christians because they're, they're like a horse ready to go. We need to rein them in once in a while and steer them once in a while. But sometimes as older Christians, what do we do? We have no zeal and tons of knowledge. So there's not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. How about this? Practice the right things in the right way. Practice the right things in the right way. That's what perfects you. Grow up in God. Be perfected in God. So how do we know that? We need this from God. So we pray, God, help us. There's a lot of ways to go wrong with this. We want to practice the Christian life. We want to walk the path. But you have to show us, and he does. Quick word about obedience general and then obedience in Christianity specifically. We have a saying in our household. You probably have it too, some of you. You don't have to agree with me, but you do have to obey me. You don't have to agree with me, but you do have to obey me. In fact, I would, I would propose to you that much Christian obedience is just we already agree with God that that's a good idea. Where it's tested is when we don't agree. When we don't agree and we obey, then it's real obedience. Otherwise, it may fall into the category of agreement right? So in our household, we say this periodically. We try to say it as kind as we can. We don't, we don't try to lay it down heavy, but you don't have to agree with this. We can talk later about the merits of our decision-making and our process of why we came with this, but you do have to obey me. Write this down. Obedience is a willingness to have your will crossed. Obedience is a willingness to have your will crossed. Consider physical exercise. There are things you absolutely want to do. They feel so incredibly right to you in the moment. In fact, everything in you says, this is right for me, and yet your will is crossed. Why? Because you're exercising. Because you're in physical discipline. Because you're in training. So even though it doesn't feel good, you do it anyways. So you don't hit the snooze alarm. You, don't, uh, you, you do get out of the warm bed. You do jump into the cold pool. You do keep doing laps. This is what you do because obedience um, allows your will to be crossed. My senior year, my oldest brother, his name is Mace. And Mace is, um, love him dearly, but he's a guy that you sort of just don't want to mess with. 
And Mace was my coach, and he wasn't like my other coach. My other coach, I can kind of sweet-talk my way out of why I ditched practice because the surf was up, and I actually got to work out surfing, and usually it all kind of worked out. Not so with Mace. Mace knew where I lived, and Mace hated me. At least it felt that way. It felt like he hated me because sometimes your coach is like, why does this guy hate me so much? And one time, one time, my senior year, I'm like, I am not getting out of bed and going to practice this morning. I live like six minutes away at 5.30 in the morning and get to Prospect High in six minutes. Nope, not doing it. Slept in. Much to my shock, my coach was at the foot of my bed. David! Ah! It's Mace! My coach was at the foot of my bed. It turns out, much of the varsity team bailed on that morning practice as well. None of us planned it. He took it as a personal affront. Like we all decided we're not going to go to practice. So he shows up at 5.30 and there's like two kids. He's like, go home. I'm going to go kill my brother. I'm proud to say I survived. He showed mercy. But I never did that again. And I tell you what, I got results. You know why? I allowed my brother to cross my will. He got more results out of me my senior year than I had previously. Freedom is not a lack of restrictions. That's what so many people mistake. Freedom is a lack of restrictions. No, it's not. Total freedom with no restrictions is slavery. The Bible talks all about that. We know this personally. Physical freedom comes from finding the right restrictions. So think about it. It comes from setting boundaries. It comes from saying no to yourself at particular times. We even pay people to do this. They're called personal trainers. We pay people to wake us up at a hotel room to say, please, no, we don't pay them. We ask them to. We submit to their voice calling us to come and wake us up to cross our will of wanting to sleep in. Only by crossing what your body wants will you ever have freedom in the physical arena. Now, move from the physical to the moral to the inner life, to the moral realm. Postmodern people have a real problem because there's no sense of moral discipline at all. Let me give you some thoughts that I'm borrowing from Tim Keller. He does some incredible work in this sermon uh, that I was reading this week. But he talks about scientific secularism. He served in New York City, not that different from Bay Area. Scientific secularism uh, basically says there's no God, there's no supernatural. The material is all that, that there is. That's one side. And the other side, I'm calling Star Wars spirituality. Star Wars spirituality is the force. Everyone's a god. Spirituality everywhere, right? So think about scientific um, uh, secularism. No god, no supernatural. Star Wars spirituality, everything's kind of part of the force, and we're all gods. Spirituality is everywhere. He makes this point. Those seem totally at odds. But track with me for a second. The only cardinal sin... And they're exactly alike in this. The only cardinal sin with both of those belief systems is that you would not do what feels right for you. That you would not go pursue you and be true to who you are. That is the cardinal sin in both of those worldview systems. In other words, there's no voice louder, there's no voice more authoritative for you in your moral realm than your own. And do you know what this leads to? Not freedom, slavery. And not just slavery for you, slavery for people around you. There's no concept of moral discipline. 
Physically, everyone knows we would lead to a quick death if we said yes to every single impulse that we had. So we restrict our impulses. We say no to ourselves, understanding that uh, freedom comes from the right restrictions. But morally, what feels right and what we think is right isn't crossed by many, many, many people. The Christian life is one of submission, obedience. We put ourselves under God and say, God, your voice is most authoritative. I don't have to agree with God, but I must obey God if I want to live. Make sense? I don't agree with God on a lot of things. The older I get, the more readily I am to say, God must be right. Proverbs says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's obedience general. Let's go to obedience in the Christian life. What's unique about the Christian obedience? Here it is. Our motive as Christians is an intimate love relationship with God, our Father. That's why we obey. That's our motive. Christian obedience is unique. In the Old Testament, Exodus 20 presents the Ten Commandments. So here's what I wouldn't want anyone to do. I wouldn't want you to leave here and say, okay, I'm supposed to be doing stuff for God. I'm going to go to his top ten list, which is the Ten Commandments, and just start doing stuff. That's Exodus 20. That could be a grave mistake. Here's why. That could bury you. When you start trying to live the law, which was actually meant to show you you can't live the law, you'll either get puffed up with pride as all of your failings go underground, or you'll be crushed by the reality, I can't even live this for a day. So what do you do? You don't ignore the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. You read Exodus 19. Exodus 19 is the prep work before Exodus 20. Before all these commands that I am telling you people, you must obey, you must walk in them. Please read Exodus 19. What is Exodus 19 all about? It's the introduction to the commandments, and it's all about, catch this, God's actions on behalf of his people. I led you out of slavery. You escaped there on wings of eagles because of me. You're now my treasured possession. Now, walk in my ways. Do you hear how different that is? Christian, the order is vital. The order is absolutely and utterly important. It's not obey me, and then I'll free you from slavery if you obey me good enough. But I have freed you, so now obey. Why does God want us to obey? So we can have an intimate relationship. That's why. So that's utterly unique, and that's so important. Write this down. Obedience proves God's love. Never does it gain God's love. I told you, I'm not saying anything new in this series. I am just telling you stuff that you already know. But I hope it fires you up. Tomorrow morning, if you have a spiritual discipline, I hope this fires you up to go, that's right. This is is why it is. God, your love is being perfected in me. I see it because I want to be getting up and doing this. Let me give you one more Carlson household phrase. This is one that you don't want to say in our house. The parents don't say it. And the kids don't say it with an earshot of dad and mom. Here's why. You say this phrase is an invitation for activity. An invitation you can't refuse. Here's the phrase. I'm bored. You are hot dog. Come with me. 
Man, there's loads to, to do. There's all kinds of things to do in our household at all times. I promise you. Come with me. We got a bored kid. Let's figure this out. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to say that. I'm not bored. Sometimes there's mercy. Sometimes not. Here's why, here's why we do this in our household. It really is training to learn how do I handle myself? What do I do with myself when I don't have a job to do right in front of me? How do I handle the weekend? How do I handle vacation? How do I handle just some bonus time? It's true with money. You get a little windfall of money. That can lead to tons of bad stuff. You got to learn how to do that. So we're teaching our kids to do that. I think it's a cardinal sin to say you're bored as a Christian. I really do. In fact, exercise, obedience, walking in this stuff actually guards you from the extreme of boredom or burnout. If you're a bored or a burned out Christian, you are not walking the path of love. Read the Gospels. Was Jesus bored? I just don't see it. I don't see anywhere where he's bored. But is he burned out? I don't see that either. He walked the path of obedience so we can avoid... uh, Boredom and burnout. That's really, really powerful. Christian, in our family, in our church family, there's no shortage of needs to be met sitting in this room. There's no shortages of people to serve. There's no shortage of ways to share. Obedience guards us from burnout and boredom. Boredom comes from too much time, too focused on yourself, too dependent on entertainment. Just watch. Sometimes when you're with a group of people and there's a lull in the conversation, older people in the room, what did we used to do? We looked at each other. If we're introverts, we sort of looked down. So the weather's changing. Like we would just figure it out. We had to keep going. What happens now? If there's a lull for a few split seconds, whoop, you could not even care what you're looking at. It's just this weird little habit that billions of dollars has been put into tracking so that you will do this. Put your phone down an hour ahead of time. Figure it out. Obey keeps you from the midlife crisis. You don't act out because you simply need to feel something. We left for the men's retreat last week, and one of my kids says, what do you do at men's retreat? I said, it's sort of like camp for a bunch of dads and dudes. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. So we go and do that. It was really fun. It was a great time. We're not opposed to programming for men, but I think sometimes churches program for men um, trying to draw them back to church or draw them to to be doing stuff. And so we do stuff. We went on a hike a couple Saturdays ago. It wasn't just men specific, but um, just just getting out and doing stuff. We actually have this coupon book um, that just is is for our dads. It's just like once a month, we're just trying to say, hey, we're we're here to help you. We want to support you. We haven't forgotten you. But I think sometimes over-programming is really, really detrimental. I have a firm conviction that men are called to devote themselves to some very specific things. And these things are so engaging, so all-encompassing, that you actually wouldn't have time to do all the cute programs that your church puts on for men. Let me give you some of these things. You should devote yourselves to yourself. Walk with God. Grow in knowledge. Guard your doctrine. Guard your life. Men, this takes effort, intentionality. It takes the Spirit of God. It takes a fresh feeling of grace every single morning. We're to devote ourselves to our family. You young men, get a wife. 
have kids, raise the next generation of Christians. That's time-consuming. That requires energy and intentionality and ingenuity. It requires things you don't have yet. So you call for helpers. You say, I need a tutor here. How'd you do that? You're still smiling and you've raised kids. How did you do that? Can you come to my house? Are you the super nanny? Help me! So it just requires some things. Men, devote yourselves to church. Church is an extension of your family. Being a godly churchman, this means you're a vital servant leader at this church. That's the beauty of a local church. I have committed to the people of this church. I can't tell you the emotion that came over me as I'm singing on the last night I was there, which was Saturday night, and ministry just happening men to men, men being vulnerable, men ministering to other men. It's a picture of this. Finally, work. You were created to work. Get a job and do it great as worship. A large part of your waking hours will be spoken of by your employer. So you better figure out how is that worship? Because if that's not worship, that means I'm not worshiping most of my day, most every day. It's easy when you're Lucas and you work at a church, right? That's easier for me. I'm constantly leaning on our guys. Hey, I don't want to tie up heavy burdens on people whose job it is to please their employers and their shareholders. But men, we have to figure out, women, we have to figure out how do we make this worship? So after all of that, should we have bored Christian men? No, we shouldn't have bored Christian women either. I'm just picking on men right now because we're sort of walking through this. The other extreme is burnout. We're going to talk next week. We're wrapping this up with Sabbath, learning how to rest, learning that rhythm of work and rest. Why? Because we're not machines. God made us people, not machines. And burnout comes when you ignore God's gift of rest. All right, let me wrap up with this. We have a couple of minutes left. If diet is the Bible and exercise is obedience, I think some of our churches may be overeating and under-exercising. Overeating, under-exercising in the human body does bad things to it. And in the church, it's the same way. It can lead to uh, an obese, lethargic church. It's not health, and God is leading us on. Before we get to these final few words that are written down for you, the scriptures are written down for you, just to give you a snapshot, remember this, that all of of our activity has to be born from resting on the finished good work of Christ before we strive at the good work, before you go exercise, before you go do activity. Stop and remind yourself of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There's Christian obedience. Our motive, we're just copying our dad. We're looking at what he does and doing it. And it doesn't mean we don't do anything because the very next verse says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So go, go get to work. Get to work by walking. Look at this. There's kettlebells to be lift. There's places to go. There's burdens to help shoulder and carry for one another. They're all around you. Just look at these four words on your paper, and we'll wrap up with this. Walk. The good work of God, the scriptures use different things. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk teaches us about a certain kind of exercise, a certain kind of obedience. 
There's also practice. Hebrews 5. They have their powers of discernment trained. How? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And there's a whole host of things coming at you this week that you need to know. Lord, is this good, evil, or indifferent? It's good to eat healthy food. It's bad to eat poison. It's just kind of dumb to eat dirt. Not going to kill you, but just kind of dumb. Lord, help me figure that out. Help me distinguish that. How do you do that? You do it by constant practice. There's a negative example, by the, way, uh, by the way, of this. Matthew 23, Jesus harshing on the religious leaders, for they preach, but they do not practice. Don't be one of those. How about work out? Philippians 2 is one of my favorite verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, not just when we're at church, not just when we're in Bible study, but all the more when we go out to all the places we're going to go out to this week. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Catch this, for it is God who works in you. I want you walking out of here going, I'm, in, I'm, I'm teaming up with God. I am going to my job today to do it as unto the Lord. I'm doing it in full view of Him. But I'm teaming up with you. I'm yours. I'm on mission. The last word is train. 1 Timothy 4, 7. It's from ours uh, today. Band, why don't you guys come on up. Walk, practice, work out, train. Man, these are valuable for the body. How much more so for the soul? Why is it more important? Because the body's going to end. Friends, your soul goes on forever. That's why we should never be neglecting it. As we get ready to transition into a song and dismiss, let me just say a quick word about seasons. And that is this, that any given Sunday we have people in different seasons. Right now we are in the Goldilocks season around here. If you want to go work out or go do something outside, go do it right now. It's Goldilocks time. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's beautiful so incredibly good. I was on a bike ride yesterday just going, oh, this is why people pay the big bucks. You live in Minnesota and winter hits. It is a workout going out to check your mail, getting it, and coming back in. Think of all the work that goes on. It's just hard. Think about the seasons of the soul. The winter season for some of you that you're going through all the stuff you used to love to go do, you used to be able to be so good at it. It wasn't hard for you. In the winter season, getting out of bed is hard. Showing up in this building, quasi ready to try and worship and hear from the Lord, is hard. Praise God that you're here. Church, can we be gracious with one another? The seasons we all experience together, our inner seasons, man, you never know where someone is in their season of life. God, we need your help. God, your love demands that we obey you. This life is a maze. And every other path except for the one you lead us on is death, is trouble, is bondage. So God, we sang it earlier, make it true of our lives. God, that we build our life on your love. We trust you. We follow you. We give you the right to counter our will. In Jesus' name, amen.